Um, I actually think it was the birth of joy that turned me into a baby. Because if you thought I was a blubbering mess this morning, you should have seen me the day she was born. And uh, I think I'm blaming her for the fact that I'm an emotional basket case. Uh, but I will take that title. Is it also brought with it the title of daddy? So I will take that. What a privilege we had today. And, and, and one of the things I want to say that I didn't really get to say as we were getting going, and you can imagine why, um, is, you know, as significant as the step that these individuals took today to be baptized, I want, you, I want to make sure that you understand part of what makes their step significance is their, their proclamation that in being obedient to Jesus in the waters of baptism, the reason we do this publicly is because those who have gone before them, who have trusted Christ and who have been baptized, they're publicly saying, I want you to help me walk with Jesus. And so as much as we come together and we celebrate, I don't want you guys to think you're off the hook this morning. Um, because the reality is being the body of Christ is a team effort. And we work together and we hold one another accountable and we encourage one another and we lift one another up. And uh, we have a tremendous privilege to be able to do that. And so I do want to just say thank you for being here today and uh, being a part of that. And um, what I want to do by way of our time together in the Word this morning is pick up the conversation we started last week pertaining to uh, the organizational values of Dale Bible Church, right? And so in recent weeks, we've had conversation about uh, a vision, an organizational vision, and organizational values. And today, we'll start to share with you and flesh out what those individual values are. And uh, similarly, similarly to how we did the vision, we just took it kind of a sentence at a time and walked through it. We have four values um, that I want to share with you from God's Word. And again, I want to remind you as we think about values, we said or we established last week that values are who we are, they're what we do, and they're what we treasure. So when we think about these values and we talk about them and we look at them and we say, look, this is what we as a body or as a leadership value and are calling those who are not in leadership but part of the body to come alongside with us. It's saying, this is what Dale Bible Church is about. These are the things that make us who we are. These are the things that determine what we do. And these are the things that we treasure. So in other words, these are the things that matter. These are the things that serve as the guideposts for how we will do ministry, what decisions we will make, why one good thing may not get chosen over another good thing, okay? And so we have these values as a means to, to, to propel us forward, to establish our influence and our significance in the community around us. So again, we talk about our values, who we are, what we do, and what we treasure. And we're tasked here at the church, any church really, is, is tasked to determine what it is that they value as an organization as a whole. Okay, because all of us, you remember we said last week, everybody intrinsically has individual values. Everybody in this auditorium this morning has things in their lives that they value because of maybe the way they were brought up, maybe because of some of their experiences, but we all have things that we value, and, and usually our values are amoral, right? Like they're, hopefully we don't value things that are sinful and wrong, but usually values in and of themselves are neither necessarily good nor bad, they're just kind of service what has been, for whatever reason, deemed important to us. But if you look around this room that we just sent 40 kids out of, there's still approximately 200 of us who are together, and, and here's the reality when we think about organizational values. 
We said last week, individual values happen organically. It's through our life, through our experiences, through who we are, what we're taught. Organizational values do not happen organically. And so if you do not have clearly defined and established values, if you function as an organization, okay, or any kind of a whole, then what ends up happening is you've got about 200 people who function according to their individual values. It doesn't take long for chaos to ensue when 200 people function according to their individual values. So we set out 20 members of an extended leadership team, extended ministry team, to establish organizational values. Again, we did work together, and we did work ahead of time. There was a, 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 not a lot of work. Like, it wasn't like it was exhaustive, but there was thorough work that went into this process with the group. Okay? And I want you to understand something. When we first started this process of establishing and identifying, identifying our values, the list was kind of long. But it was very clear in looking at the list, there was a number of things. Again, you get 20 people together, you you end up with a lot of checkboxes of what we value. And there were a lot of things that only had like one check, maybe two checks. And it became clear that those were significant individual values, but because so few of them were checked, every one of us checked six things that were of our highest value. And so when you start looking at things that got one, maybe two checks, what's that communicating? That organizationally, that's not a value because the group as a whole didn't value that when the value uh, assessment was collected and compiled. And so we took and we eliminated right away a lot of the values as organizational values that didn't have a high response because they didn't speak to the majority of that team that was together. And as we did this, there was one absolutely overwhelming value for those who are part of this team at Dale Bible Church that are going through this process. And it was holiness. And you see that, right? It's on the screen before you. It's in your bulletin. The first value we want to look at is the value of holiness. This was the primary priority for the folks of this extended ministry team. And so our, our statement encapsulating how we view holiness is this. We value holiness. Therefore, we strive to grow in Christ's likeness, being set apart from the world by dying to self and living out the truth of Scripture through the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God. And you see on the screen there before you, those are the references that we attached to that value statement. We value holiness. Therefore, we want to grow in Christ's likeness. We want to be more like Jesus because he is the very definition of holiness. And we identify, recognize, and understand that to grow in Christ's likeness or to grow to be like Jesus means that we are distinct from the world. We cannot pursue the things of the world and the things of Jesus at the same time. So if we're going to grow in Christ's likeness, we have to die to ourselves as it would pertain to the things of the world. And in this process, we want to live out the truths of Scripture through the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to look at a verse, a passage of Scripture this morning that you're probably fairly familiar with. It's actually not on that list up there, but it encapsulates for us three truths as, as, uh, that would pertain to holiness. And so if you found 2 Timothy chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading in verse 15. You can follow along with me. 
Apostle Paul writing to his young protege, Timothy, pastoring a church in Ephesus, he says this, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, it will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Let's pray together as we begin. Father, I have a tremendous privilege this morning to look into your word, God, and to consider the reality of holiness. God, to consider um, uh, examining a little bit about what it is and what it is in our lives and why it matters. And, and so, God, as, as we have come together this morning and we have uh, planned as an extended ministry team and looked at these values and determined that, that holiness is a, a primary value, uh, God, I pray that you would stir all of our hearts this morning, that we might be challenged by maybe what we thought about holiness, maybe whether or not our lives uh, represented your holiness. And God, may we see this morning that uh, pursuing Christ-likeness, pursuing holiness is absolutely juxtaposed. It's in direct opposition to pursuing the things of the world. God, we can't do both. And so help us. If those who make up the body of Christ here at Dale Bible Church are going to pursue holiness, God, we're going to have to put off the things of this world, but we can't do that on our own strength. We can't do that in our own abilities. So work in our hearts, God. Work in our lives, not only for our good, but for the good of those around us, but more importantly, God, for your glory. Establish your purposes today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to give you three truths, three truths pertaining to holiness this morning, three of them. Number one, positional holiness. There's the, the matter of positional holiness. We won't look at these in order per se, um, but we're going to look at these. They're encapsulated here in this passage. Verse 19 says, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. This is positional holiness. And the reality of what's transpiring here in Ephesus we'll talk about this, is there's a couple of individuals who are teaching and proclaiming and telling people things that are contrary to what Paul had taught them when he was there. And the people are getting all worked up and they're getting all upset about it. And these people are, they're veering away from the faith. And so there's this, oh, this overwhelming concern for uh, Hymenaeus and Philetus, the ones who are causing the controversy. And Paul tells Timothy, don't worry about 
Hymenius and Philetus. God knows who are his. God will establish his purposes. God will do what he has set out to do because he knows who are his. He knows positionally who is right with him. To be God's is to be righteous. To be righteous is to be in line with what it is that God requires in order to be one with God. That might sound fancy, but it's really not. If we're going to approach a holy God, we have to do it the way he declares us to do it. We don't do it on our own. We don't do it with our ideas or our measures. If you're going to pursue the God of the universe, you must do it according to what he has set forth of how it's done. And when you do that, you are his. When you trust Christ by faith, you enter into the presence of God. God knows you as his own. You are his. You're declared righteous. And so there's this transaction that takes place when an individual trusts Christ for salvation. This transaction is where the sinner is given the righteousness of Christ and thereby they're qualified uniquely to draw near to the Father. I don't remember which week it was, but in recent weeks we've talked about 2 Corinthians 5.21, Apostle Paul writing, second letter of Corinth says, For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. It doesn't say he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that we could continue in the ways of the world. It doesn't say that he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that maybe someday uh, we'll get to heaven. No, the Bible says there's this great transaction that takes place. The the doctrine is called imputation. It's It's the instantaneous transaction whereby when Christ hung on the cross, the sin of mankind was imputed to him. For our sake, he who knew no sin became sin. Our sin was given to him. And the purpose of him taking our sin was so that his righteousness could be imputed to us. So that when we believe by faith, instantaneously, we are given the righteousness of God, whereby we are declared positionally holy. We are now welcomed into the presence of the God of the universe. The demand of the Father has been met through Christ. And God knows who are his. God knows who are his. What good is this thing? What good is do not disturb if it's still listening to me? What God demands has been met through Christ. You see, God is the one who declares who is righteous. So it is God who knows who is and who is not positionally right before him or positionally holy. God is holy. When we think about holiness, we don't think, well, holiness is a characteristic of God. No, the Bible says it's literally who God is. He is holy. And in his holiness, nothing short of holiness can approach him. Okay? So right away we understand there's this major dilemma that exists. If God is holy and nothing that is not holy cannot approach him, then that great transaction of our sin to Christ and his righteousness to us, it needs to take place. 
Nothing short of holy can approach God. You remember the account in Exodus chapter 3 of Moses in the wilderness? And he's left Egypt, and he's tending his father-in-law's sheep, and God appears to him in a burning bush, and as Moses starts to draw closer to the bush, what does God say? Don't get any closer and remove your shoes because the ground you're standing on is holy ground. Anybody remember who Nadab and Abihu were? Nadab and Abihu were the sons of Aaron, the high priest. And by this point, uh, we've got approaching God in his tabernacle, his dwelling place. It's established. It's reserved for a few. There's certain ways that it has to happen. And Nadab and Abihu, they go in the tabernacle, and they start making, you know, kind of doing their own thing. Anybody remember what happened to Nadab and Abihu? God struck them dead on the spot. Because his holiness is all-consuming. If there was a way to describe God's holiness, I I don't know that there really is, but I think when we think about our sun and our solar system, it kind of maybe gives us an idea, okay? Now, the sun is great. Even though the sun is hidden behind the clouds today, all of us together this morning are still reaping the benefits of it. We can see because of the light that it gives. We're warm because of the heat that it gives. Not as warm as we have been, but nonetheless, it still sustains us. It grows our crops. It, 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 it is absolutely necessary for every part of our being in existence. And the sun is a great thing. But what happens if you get too close to the sun? It consumes you. It literally just consumes you. Now, I don't want to compare God's holiness to the sun, but when you approach the holiness of God in a manner that's unfit for what he has declared, guess what his holiness does to you? It consumes you. You and I, mankind, we cannot enter into the presence of God and his holiness without being consumed. Therefore, we must trust Christ and receive his righteousness whereby we're declared holy. But here's the thing. Every one of us will see the holiness of God. And if you trust Christ, when you recognize the holiness of God, kind of like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, woe is me, I'm a man man who's undone of unclean lips. I'm seeing God in all of his splendor, right? If you are like Isaiah and you enter not according to having been given the righteousness of Christ, God's holiness will consume you for all of eternity. You'll be declared unrighteous, not saved, not positionally holy before God and spend eternity not in the presence of God in a glorious place, heaven, but rather in a place of constant torment where Jesus says there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place, hell is what the Bible calls it. A literal physical place where apart from righteousness in Christ, we will spend eternity recognizing the holiness of God. So positional holiness is absolutely necessary. God in his grace and in his mercy and for no other reason than his good pleasure through Christ, he declares sinners justified. He declares them righteous. And in doing so, renders them holy. And so those who have been declared holy by God, they are known by God. And if we're positionally right with God, and we're known by God, known by God as His, then we're called to something greater than ourselves. 
At least it's the acknowledgement. We're always called to something greater than ourselves. But being declared positionally holy and right before God is an acknowledgement that we're called to something greater than ourselves. And if, there, if this is true, if we're declared holy and we're called to something greater than ourselves, there absolutely has to be ramifications of holiness upon our lives. If we are right with God, if we are declared holy, then there has to be change in us. You cannot claim the holiness of God and look no different than you did when you didn't have the holiness of God. You cannot claim the holiness of God and look no different than you did when you didn't claim the holiness of God. There has to be change in the lives of those who have been declared holy by God. And I call this our progressive holiness. It's a progressive holiness is a growing holiness. Listen, positionally, you are as holy as you will ever be the moment you trust Christ. You don't get more holy in God's presence. Your your, Your holiness is declared and it's established. But practically in this life... I sure am glad that through the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, I'm conformed as I live in obedience to it to be more like Christ. That's our progressive holiness. And this is the portion of our value statement where we declare that because we value holiness, we want to pursue Christ's likeness. We've been given this standing of holiness, and Christ's likeness is the manifestation of that standing. So because we've been called holy, we want to look Christ-like in the world that we live. We want people to see Christ in us. And given that we value holiness, we desire to be individuals and a body as a whole that pursues Christ-likeness. J.C. Ryle once said, holiness is the habit of being of one mind with God according as we find his mind described in Scripture. It is the habit of agreeing in God's judgment, hating what he hates, loving what he loves, and measuring everything in this world by the standard of his word. And this disposition of pursuing holiness is all throughout this short passage that we've read together. Now, I always want to be careful to clarify and make sure everybody understands, I am not proclaiming this morning that doing things that the Bible says makes us right with God. There is nothing that we can do that will make us right with God. The only thing that makes us right with God, Christ has already done. So we don't work, right? Ephesians chapter 2, Paul told the, the church at Ephesus that you were created, right, to be his workmanship. You're the workmanship of God to do good works that he prepared for you before the foundation of the world. Okay? And so when we do these good works as believers in Christ, we're not doing them so that we can be declared holy. We're doing this because we've been declared holy. Two totally separate things. And so while our works don't make us holy or make us right with God, there is a reality that we're living in obedience to God's word through the power of the Holy Spirit to to better represent Christ to the world around us. You know what it means to be made in the image of God and to bear his likeness? 
It means that mankind is the only thing in the world that has the ability to relate to God through his communicable attributes. Like our dogs, they have emotion, right? You guys have all seen your dog sad, and anytime you come home, your dog's happy, okay? But they don't relate to God on the basis of that communicable attribute. But we do, and we bear the image and likeness of God. And so as we understand our call of being positionally holy, our progressive holiness matters because we live in a world of people who have not recognized their need to be made right positionally holy. And so how we live our lives matters because we're trying to manifest a right view of God to people. People don't know anything about God. I have no qualms about saying that. Even in the church today, we are biblically illiterate. We don't know God's word. And if we don't know God's word, we can't know God as he is intended for us to know him. So we are working through the power of the Holy Spirit to be conformed into the image of God. And we do this two ways, by what we do and by what we don't do. And Paul says in this passage, verse 15, you do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Okay? You've been approved, so now work out your salvation. Grow in Christ's likeness and stand before him as one who is, in fact, approved. Okay? He says in verse 19, depart from iniquity. This nonsense of the world that we live in that says, well, it's okay. sin is okay. I can do this. God wants me to be happy. God's okay with this. We have an understanding. We worked it out. No, you didn't. And no, you don't have an understanding. He is the sovereign God of the universe whose very being is holiness. And if we approach him in any manner other than what he's declared, we are consumed. And God's word says, work to show yourself approved, do what God declares, and don't do some things. Depart from iniquity. Cleanse oneself from iniquity. Verse 21. Verse 22, he says, flee youthful passions. All through this passage, we see the life that's fitting for somebody who claims positional holiness. That they look less and less like the world. He says, pursue. Pursue what? Righteousness. Right? Pursue righteousness. Pursue the very thing that Jesus is and has given to you through his death, burial, and resurrection. Work through God's word and study and know and engage so that you could be more like Jesus. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and pursue peace with those who are doing the same things that you're doing and do it through a pure heart. He says, don't quarrel about words. Avoid irreverent babble. Why? Because irreverent babble only leads to more ungodliness. We sit around and babble and talk and chatter about all these things that are are, are irrelevant. What happens? It just promotes ungodliness. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant quarrels. Why? Because this just causes more foolish, ignorant quarrels. And all of these things, both what you do and what you don't do, are the outworking of of, of Christ in our lives. The things we do and don't do are because we understand we've been declared positionally holy and now we're pursuing progressive holiness, being more like Jesus. And if we're going to be more like Jesus, if we're going to pursue the things of Christ, Charles Spurgeon makes the possibility of being Christ-like very clear when he says this. If you would be holy, 
if you would be holy, and I want to stop for just a second, and then I'll finish his quote. This is my quote. If you would be holy, that's the expectation God has for you. If you've trusted Christ for salvation, pursuing holiness is not an option. To, to, to claim an indifference in the pursuit of holiness, of becoming like Christ, something's wrong with our doctrine or our understanding of salvation. Because if you've trusted Christ and you've truly been saved, it's for a purpose. And the next logical step is to begin to the, the outworking of bearing out who Christ is in your life. And so Spurgeon says, if you would be holy... So this applies to anybody who would say they've trusted Christ. If you would be holy, you must live close to Jesus. If you would be holy, you must live close to Jesus. You know, we've talked in recent weeks about the reality of, you know, like priorities in our lives and busyness and, and our men's thing this morning at 7.30. We were just talking about the reality of like craziness in our lives and schedules and all these other things. And, you know, the reality is oftentimes in our lives we want to continue to proclaim the pursuit of God's holiness, but we really don't live anywhere near Jesus. The truth is, for a lot of people, sadly, even in our churches, that Jesus on the priority list is closer to the bottom than he is the top. <clears throat> and we cannot be holy as we are called to be because God is holy if we are far from the one who is holy. So Spurgeon nails it. If you would be holy, you must live close to Jesus. Too many professing believers are not living close to Jesus. They're not pursuing Christ-likeness. Many of us, and if, we're, if we're honest and we're vulnerable, many of us, the, the pursuits of our lives are, are more about the things not of God than the things of God. For those who've been declared holy, we must pursue this holiness progressively in our lives and to do this we have to do it through what God has declared in his word. We don't grow in Christ-likeness any other way other than how God has called us to. George Whitfield on the subject of holiness in the believer's life says, it is an undoubted truth that every doctrine that comes from God leads to God, and that which doth not tend to promote holiness is not of God. We got a little King James speak there in the end of the quote by George Whitfield. But here was the point he was making. If something in your life does not produce the holiness of God, it is not from God. Don't be deceived. Don't believe the lie that says, well, God's word says this, but I think this. I feel this. So-and-so said this. If it doesn't produce the holiness of God, it's not from God. And if you've trusted Christ and are positionally holy, you are to be pursuing God's holiness. And if we're going to do that, then we have to do it according to what God has declared. We must live close to Jesus. We must live according to the truth of God's word with the help of the Holy Spirit. If it's not helping us be more like God, it's not helping our pursuit of holiness. And here's the deal. This matters. 
If you're going to claim to be a believer in Jesus, but your life is not pursuing holiness and you are not being conformed into the image of Christ, it matters. It's great consequence to this reality because our holiness matters practically. Our holiness matters practically. Notice verse 25. He says, well, I'm going to go back to 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Why must believers live sensible lives seeking to grow in Christ's likeness? Because God uses the lives of his people to advance his purposes. God doesn't just use the pastor's life. God doesn't just use the pastor's wife's life. God doesn't just use the 20 people who are a part of the extended ministry team who's working with IBL. God uses the life of every individual who has been declared positionally holy by God through faith in Jesus Christ to advance his purposes, period. And maybe you've never thought of that. Maybe the truth is this morning you viewed your life in terms of Christ and the church and Christianity as a matter of little significance. Maybe today you've thought, you know, what I do really doesn't matter. I'm not important. I can't make a difference in the church. I can't do this or I can't do that or, 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 or it doesn't really matter. That's all a lie straight from the pit of hell. If you've trusted Christ, his desire is to use you to glorify himself in the world that we live in. That's for all of us that have trusted Christ. And as we've noted in our text here this morning, there's two men who are promoting a falsehood when it comes to the resurrection. And the consequences of the falsehood that they were promoting was that people's faith was being shipwrecked. People in the church in Ephesus, they were walking away from Christ. And as awful as the choices of these two men were, Hymenaeus and Philetus, Paul tells Timothy that the pursuit of Christ's likeness for the people in Ephesus is so important because God can use it to bring these men to repentance. God says, or Paul says, yeah, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, pursue Christ's likeness. Engage your opponents with gentleness and grace and deal with them in a way that might lend itself to God, granting them repentance, bringing them to their senses. How we live our lives matters. God would desire, God would, he does desire, he is using the faith of those who have been declared holy and are walking in holiness, pursuing Christ, to bring other people to faith in himself. Way back in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were created, God said, I want you to fill the earth and subdue it. I want you to have dominion over it. Birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, the beasts of the field. I want you to run the show, Adam and Eve. And their primary responsibility was to be fruitful, multiply, and then teach the world around them. The kids that came into existence through them, and then their kids, and then their kids, and then their kids. And those kids would teach their kids, and their kids would teach those kids, and on and on and on and on. What would they teach them? About who God was. About what God had declared 
Well, a very obvious application this morning, brothers and sisters, is if we name the name of Jesus but pursue the things of the world more than we pursue the things of Christ, we will be ineffective in the world. If we don't live a life that's pursuing the things of God and the holiness of Christ, and then we try to talk to people about Jesus, it's fake. It's phony. When you talk to people about Jesus, it ought to be coupled with a life that says, I love Jesus, I treasure Jesus, I want to follow Jesus. And so when we're talking to people about Christ, our invitation to them is follow me as I follow Jesus, not do what I'm not doing. The practical outworking is if we're not walking with Christ, we will never invite others to walk with him. And Paul's clear here, man, that as we live out Christ-likeness in our lives, it's because we do this so knowing that God would bring others to himself, that they too might be declared holy, that they too might grow in holiness, and that their lives too might be used by God to advance his purposes. Those apart from Christ are in the snares of the devil, he says. They're senseless. And Paul says that when believers live sensibly among those who are senseless, God uses it. D.L. Moody once said, a holy life will make the deepest impression. Lighthouses blow no horns, they just shine. Lighthouses blow no horns, they just shine. A holy life makes a deep impression. May our lives make a great impression. May that impression be that we've been declared holy and are now working through the power of the Holy Spirit to be more like Christ. And as we do, may the world take notice of holiness, what holiness is, the holiness of God and of his children. And and may that lead those who are outside of the faith, outside of the church, to repentance and faith in Christ. We value holiness. Therefore, we strive to grow in Christ's likeness, being set apart from the world by dying daily to self and living out the truth of Scripture through the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God.